Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is a special Patreon bonus. And this is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we're going to be listening to Rush 2112. Now, Aaron, you've listened to Rush 2112. I am not a Rush fan, probably because I've not listened to really hardly any of their music. Like, I think I know one song. You have to know Tom Sawyer. That's it. That's the one song. That's the one fucking song. And I th- and when I was watching the trailer, like the first trailer for Ready Player One, the movie, they used that as they were getting into the cars and they were doing the race. That was awesome. And I was like, I think I've heard that song before. And I didn't realize until much later that that was a Rush song. So I'm not much of a gunter in this realm, unfortunately. My wife, way better. Way better gunter in this realm. But what we're going to do for the bonus material is this is my first time listening to 2112. Uh-oh. It's 20 minutes. I know. Uh-oh. It's 20 minutes. <laughs> That's right. You're going to hear me pop my cherry on this. You know, so many people's <laughs> first time has never lasted 20 minutes. So I would say you got to be pretty feeling pretty lucky. I am. I'm going to triple wrap it. Uh <laughs> 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 for his no pleasure only. They are Canadian after all. <laughs> I'm not sure. Are you afraid I might catch something? Uh, a cold. <laughs> so we're going to listen to 2112, and here's how the format's going to break down. I'm, we're going to listen to the song. Since Aaron's listened to this, he's going to stop. He's going to have me stop when we move from one part of the arrangement to the next and we're gonna i'm gonna we're just gonna reflect on that so it's it's we're gonna go through it's like a blind taste test we're gonna pause for a moment and i'm gonna mm, okay i kind of understood that smells of vanilla has earthy undertones yeah so i think maybe what we'll do is uh because it's divided up into uh, i think it's six parts seven parts they each have a bit of prose at the beginning to augment the narrative of the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we can start off we'll read the the first pro yeah we'll read the first part and then we'll listen and then we'll talk about that part gotcha so what you'll i imagine what we'll, we'll end up doing here is for the audience so we're not playing the entire album and everyone has to sit through that as well but we'll we'll just kind of have an intro into the first song we'll do an outro towards the end of the first part well the first section i should say and then move into our reflection yeah so cool. the, so the first part is called Overture, and the text of it is very simple. And the meek shall inherit the earth. Boom. Done. That's it? That's it. All right. Well, let's just uh, let's move along let's and just, listen. Let's get started. Yeah. All right. I'm ready when you are, man. Tell All me right. when to press play. So I will hit play in three, two, one, go. <laughs> It's kind of uh, spooky.
All right. So my first impression was listening to this. It sounded like 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 digital country or d- digital western. Seriously, I just, I, I just had this like 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 riding a fucking horse, right? You mean like the theme to that that TV show, like yeah, 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 exactly. What is that? Is that Bonanza? I think so. Yes, it's like it's like digital cowboy Bonanza. So I'm pretty sure it's Bonanza, but I could be told it. It's not different strokes. <laughs> no, it's not different strokes. Different strokes to rule the world. Yes, it does. It takes. But I, I will say that I really got into the drum part of that of Overture. You would. I would. I don't even know what that means. The drums. <laughs> um, it, it, it sounds. It sounds Western. It, it sounds like rock Western to me. Okay. And I might be. Some people might be like, "Dude, you're totally fucking off base," and you'd be totally right. But that's what it sounds like to me. Well, I think they were going for a future dystopian. Okay. All right. Okay. Like, if I had to imagine maybe rock music that I might listen to Borderlands, playing the game Borderlands, like, this might work. Because that's also this sort of Western dystopian kind of situation, right? Sure. Have you played Borderlands? You know how whenever we you've asked me, have you seen this movie or have you seen this TV show? And I say no. Right. Yeah. It'll be even worse if you ask me about video games. Well, I can't judge you too hard because this is my first time listening to Rush. It's okay. It would be hypocritical. I mean, I'm judging, so I'm I'm blatantly hypocritical. But I mean, like, I at least admit the fact. So now that your your Rush 2112 cherry has been popped. Cherry's not popped until... <laughs> I don't know that cherry is popped until I've listened to all of it. I think this is the foreplay. Oh, okay. Well, right. This is maybe first base. Are you enjoying the foreplay? Uh, it's a little awkward. It's a little outside of my realm. I feel a little nervous and jittery. I think this is adequate for four, first time foreplay. Would you like a little alcohol? Uh, I have my full throttle. Does that count? Uh, does it lower your inhibitions? No. A little bit. Okay, then that counts. Probably not as much as alcohol. So anyway. What else do you got to say about Overture before we move on into the Temples of Syrinx? No, that's good. That's a, that's a good workup. And I like how it's like four minutes of music with like five words. <laughs> dun, 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 four minutes later. And the meek shall inherit the earth. It's a pretty good song for people with very short attention spans. It just kind of reminds me like, da, 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 fire. And then that's the end of the fucking song. It definitely start. It sets the mood pretty well. I, I suppose. I, I'm, I'm, it's it's added a flavor. This is the first lick of the several balls of ice cream that I have to go through. So this has been a good first taste. I'm ready to move on. I want a little more. It's the first lick of the Tootsie Pop, and you don't know how many licks it takes to get to the center. Yeah, yeah, the chocolatey center. Okay, so part two is Temples of Searings, and the text that precedes the song goes like this. The massive gray walls of the temples rise from the heart of every Federation city. I have always been awed by them. To think that every single facet of every life is regulated and directed from within. Our books, our music, our work, and play are all looked after by the benevolent wisdom of the priests.
attitude. This still sounds so Western. So that was the Temples of Syrinx. Fascinating. <clears throat> That's interesting. Now, I will say this. Like, rock is not my thing. But? Sadly. sadly. Uh, and it's not because I think rock sucks. It's just kind of where I came from. I had a friend named Bear that lived down the street from me. And he would drag me to his house, and we would watch Headbangers Ball in the early 90s, maybe late 80s, probably late 80s. <clears throat> And he was trying to convert me, and I was more of an, a Yo MTV's rap kind of guy. Like, I liked that music at that time, but he was just constantly trying to convert me. So, and it just didn't do anything for me at all. This kind of falls into that. <laughs> but I will say that starting with my original sort of interpretation of this weird rock western kind of thing, it just it's, it went in that direction again, you know? So I had to look up the lyrics because it, it's hard to understand the lyrics when the lyrics go. That's one of my biggest things with Rush is that. What, that the lyrics are like a bazillion octaves? Yeah. I mean, I know that's, I, I guess you would say it's signature Rush, but man, it's it, just it gets tough sometimes. I bet. I like singing to these songs. Has got to hurt. Yeah, your vocal just, cords must need some ice or something. Your vocal cords, to hit those notes at that power, has to pucker like a butthole that's been – had a lemon squeezed on it. Like, it just – Why did you have to go there? <laughs> I was just thinking of the tightest puckering you could possibly imagine for vocal cords to produce, and that's the image that came to mind. But <laughs> I, I've got to imagine that if they're still – are they still playing? I don't know, but <laughs> – it's got it's got to wear on a voice. Can I you mean, imagine going on tour singing like that all the time. Yeah, this is this is like of the vo- this is the hymen of vocal cords, right Oof. there. Yeah, we're just busting right through. Yeah, just anyway. Going back to the song, as I said in the the main episode for chapter twenty seven, mm-hmm. I really get into this song whenever I hear it, and I and I think I mentioned, and hopefully you won't cut this out of the main episode, but. I always found myself mouthing the lyric when I listened to it. I just didn't, I enjoyed it. It sounds really kind of like you want to do that. Who does it? I get it. I do that for songs that I like. You know, it's, yeah, that totally makes sense. I get it. Did you, did you understand the lyrics to this song when you first heard it? Fuck no. <laughs> Fuck no. But if you, but when you go to the lyrics, mm-hmm. why don't we do that? Let's look at the lyrics real quick before we move on I'm to the next I'm looking at them right now. Mm-hmm. I've pulled them up. We've taken care of everything, the words you read, the songs you sing, the pictures that give pleasure to your eye. One for all and all for one, work together, common sons, never need to wonder how or why. It, it sounds it sounds communist. Yeah. It sounds red. Sounds red to me. Like they're just going to produce everything for you and they're going to control it. You're welcome. Just say you're welcome. Oh, damn commies. 
I'm just kidding. It's it's such a it's such an an overused hyperbole the, the, the whole red scare communist thing. But I don't know if you knew this or not. Maybe this we could get into this a little bit later. They do credit in the liner notes the genius of Ayn Rand. Okay, okay. And she was she was arguably a, a mid-century philosopher. I say arguably because some philosophers would not consider what she has put out to be philosophical, but rather contemplating on political beliefs. But I, I get where you're coming from. Like I've, I've recently listened up. There's a podcast called Philosophize This, and Ayn Rand is one of the episodes. And uh, is it Anne or just Ayn? Kind of, I thought it was Ayn Rand. Well, I'm just gonna say Anne, but it might be Ayn. I don't know. I thought it was Ayn Rand with a little emphasis on the Y. It don't matter. It don't matter. Tomato, potato. So, but I understand. Okay, so that's interesting. That adds a little bit of flavor there. I, I'm gonna kind of keep that in mind as we move through the rest. Of the, so, are there lyrics to the other songs? We haven't finished all the lyrics to Searing, so if we want to just briefly go through those. So then the chorus is, We are the priest of the temples of Syrinx. Our great computers fill the hallowed halls. We are mm. the priest of the temples of Syrinx. All the gifts of life are held within our walls. And then it finishes off with, Look around this world we made. Equality, our stock and trade. Come and join the brotherhood of man. What a nice contented world. Let the banners be unfurled. Hold the red star proudly high in hand. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. All right. Okay. I think I'm ready. I think I'm primed. I think we've at least circled around first base on this uh, cherry-popping adventure. Let us finish off the Searing and move on to Discovery. Okay, Discovery. Most of everybody will recognize this from the book, but there is w- the last two sentences are not included in the book, so I will just read the whole thing. Okay. <clears throat> well, yeah, cleared up. Behind my beloved waterfall, in the little room that was hidden beneath the cave, I found it. I brushed away the dust of the years and picked it up, holding it reverently in my hands. I had no idea what it might be, but it was beautiful. I learned to lay my fingers across the wires and to turn the keys to make them sound differently. As I struck the wires with my other hand, I produced my first harmonious sounds, and soon my own music. How different it could be from the music of the temples. I can't wait to tell the priests about it.
So that was Discovery. And uh-huh, uh-huh. what I really enjoy about this song is it really does conjure up the image in your mind of someone finding this guitar and playing around with it, trying to make it sound right, you know, learning learning how to play you kind of it sounds like he's tuning it which i don't know how he would know how to tune it if he's never seen a guitar before but it builds the song keeps building and building as if he's learning how to play better Mm -hmm. and you have the sounds of the water you have these very rudimentary guitar sounds very slow picking of the of the strings I, i i really enjoy it it really does it captures the essence of the intent behind the song, the the narrative before it, and the lyrics within it. I th- I think it's a it's pretty good. I like it. Yeah, it's it's at this point I can say that it's not so much my kind of music, but I I like this is where the narration starts to to come together, mm-hmm. and I really dig that. So I like the earlier song that kind of laid down this flavor palette of. A blessing through this perceived control. So I love the narrative here. We we start off with this sort of religio government dictation of what you're allowed to have, and all of a sudden there's this discovery to the point of song of this new thing, and he's like, "This is beautiful, and I'm be able to create something, not just consume." And and people, this is awesome. And and I wish I could learn how to play guitar as fast as he does in this song. Oh, I know, right? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I have tried to play bass, uh, and it just, you know, it, it didn't come as easily as this song. But I, I'm digging the narrative. Like, I, it's starting to create the picture now, like the flavor palettes coming together. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to listen to the next piece and see what the response is to him introducing this instrument. I, I really like how the first song is really kind of like the introduction. It's creating the setting for the narrative, and now we're we're into the first few chapters of the book and it's you have the the protagonist he discovers this guitar and learns to play and now it's like okay well let's keep going let's see where the story goes yeah yeah like i i, I now see where there can be conflict yeah because now you have this this point of art artistry or creativity and whenever you create something you become the expert of what you created which means that if if you're living in a world where a majority of people are consuming, the people who are creating are the ones in power. Thus, to be a creator rather than a consumer is a position of power. Yeah. And if your government slash religion is the only one that's allowed to create and you're only allowed to consume, then the introduction of another creator is going to cause conflict. And I believe, and I'm not read ahead in any of the lyrics, but I, I think that that's maybe where the conflict is going to lie in this storyline. Well, I mean, think about at the time frame in which this album came out, or really the era in which it came out, music was such a popular medium for protest. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So th- this to me feels a lot like a... It's a commentary. It's a, yeah, it's a commentary it, on how you might love the world that feeds you, but the minute somebody tries to to present something different that could potentially divide the power... You're going to get stomped out maybe. Like the, all of a sudden there's a power conflict. And even if your intentions are really good, you know, it's almost like a small business getting stomped out by a huge business. And the huge business wants you to believe that they're the only source for for what you need. Brando. It's, it's, it's what a body craves. Uh, all right. So 
Are you ready to move into the next one? You want me to read the prologue to this one? Yes. The next part is called presentation, mm-hmm. and the, the text preceding the song goes like this. In the sudden silence, as I finished playing... I looked up to a circle of grim, expressionless faces. Father Brown rose to his feet, and his somnolent voice echoed throughout the silent temple. Instead of the grateful joy that I expected, they were words of quiet rejection. Instead of praise, sullen dismissal. I watched in shock and horror as Father Brown ground my precious instrument to splinters beneath his feet. Father Brown? Okay, very interesting. So I've, I've, we've, we've, it, there was the intimate foreplay there, mm-hmm. and the narrative is starting to expand. So I'm really digging this, and I liked how we shifted back to the same medley, not medley, the same. It's the same song. It's it's this, the integration of the same song as the Priest of Syrinx. Well, it, it, it's kind of a combination of Discovery and Syrinx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the song itself is is separated. Yeah, which makes sense because to the Temples of Syrinx is <clears throat> from the perspective of the priests and Discoveries mm-hmm. from the perspective of the protagonist and now this song is a dialogue between the two. Right, 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 right. So I really dig that. And I and I like the fact that it goes between the protagonist who is just kind of this sort of humble voice <laughs> to the priests that are kind of we are the priests of squeaking voices <laughs> of the man. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> you can see it, right? It's so, it's so uh, uh, very self-important, right? Just the the way that it's presented song-wise. I just it's it's fun. It's very pulpit. I didn't really think about that, but but uh, maybe maybe like hardcore rock music is like extreme pulpit style music, right? Mm. I didn't think about that till now until like it emphasized it in this song and in this particular way. So. I love it. And then for that last minute of the song, all I could imagine 
was something like uh, what was the name of the show? It was Benny Hill. And remember how Benny Hill would he'd run around and the girls would chase him and he'd smack one on the butt and he'd run around and they'd try to beat him with something. I kind of had that image in my mind with this last minute's worth of music where it was just basically somebody shredding on the guitar. So I imagined them kind of running around the church with him with the guitar and then them finally taking it away and smashing it to pieces, much like in, in what was – uh, in the descri- in the description in the f- initial description and just that, that initial destroying it into pieces leaves that like weird resonant twang at the very end of the song that goes into silence like we've just killed it what came into my mind while listening to this while also going through the lyrics very carefully was it just feels like the the silencing of the people almost like taking away their freedoms of expression and speech and all that and it's like oh you found this thing well fuck you you can't you're not allowed to use this. And then they just crush it like right in front of you. Like it's just like devouring your soul. Mm. Anything that we don't control is, is what led to the downfall of man and therefore must be evil. Exactly. It's, it's kind of the impression that I had there. It's that threat of the threat of power, that threat that you bring something new and it must be bad. No matter how beautiful it is, because it's new, it's scary. Or it must be associated with something horrible, no matter how beautiful it is. Yeah, I'm sure it resonated pretty well then. And right now, I kind of feel like you could draw some parallels or at least use this song as like a warning. Sure. Yeah, whenever you give something else an enormous amount of control, anything that diverts your attention from what they give you is a threat. Yeah. It's it's the means for encapsulating power. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting. So, again, I'm, I'm curious to dive into... The next part. Now that we've gone beyond the the, the mutual foreplay, the, the general sixty nine of the verbiage of this song, we're going to move into the dream. Yeah, this is this is part five, Oracle, the dream, and okay. the text that precedes the song goes like this. I guess it was a dream, but even now it all seems so vivid to me. Clearly yet, I see the beckoning hand of the oracle as he stood at the summit of the staircase. I still see the incredible beauty of the sculptured cities and the pure spirit of man revealed in the lives and works of this world. I was overwhelmed by both wonder and understanding as I saw a completely different way to life, a way that had been crushed by the Federation long ago. I saw now how meaningless life had become with the loss of all these things. Ah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, this is, I'm, I'm ready. Is it me, or does this kind of feel like Parzival watching all the Sixers end up on the scoreboard? Yeah, I can totally see that. And maybe what he's afraid of having happen, if if this to me feels like a post-IOI situation, if IOI had taken the Oasis, and then somebody stumbled across something pure, that was a remnant of the Oasis, and then going, wow, this is what it used to be like, no advertisements. And then, and then, you know, going back and going, life in the Oasis is crap compared to this, you know, or maybe you could say real life when you're experiencing with somebody else is way more vivid than the Oasis. Yeah, because this, I mean, it's called the dream. So this is the protagonist having his dream, realizing what life was like before. And it's like, oh, Fuck. Mm. Okay. All right. Let's move on. I'm not reading. In the, I'm not, I've not read the lyrics yet, so I'm ready. Well, I'm only. I'm not exactly cognizant of the lyrics. I'm just looking at this one little pretext. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. So anyway, we will move on to Oracle, the dream. Very lonely at the beginning. It's ethereal. Kind of, yeah. It's very like in a big room by himself. I feel like there's fog in the room too. Like you're ascending the staircase and there's fog on it. I wandered home through silent streets and fell into a fitful sleep. Interesting. Right off. Okay, so right off the bat, we, we were talking uh, in the beginning of the song about how it sounds like walking alone in a foggy place. And then as the lyrics kind of unfolded, it's neat. The lyrics actually kind of drew out the sound that they were going for. It sounded like the echoiness of somebody walking down a, a street. Not a street, but like a street in a city, like a back alley almost. Like you hear an echo through a back alley. In the middle of the night when the city is dead. You know what I picture? I picture hmm. the cover or the the movie poster for The Exorcist, where The Exorcist gets out of the cab, and it's just like this foggy scene, and he starts to walk up to the house. Right, like right. that kind of mystical-looking setting. Where it's like you could talk, and your, your voice would travel yeah. for what seems like miles, because it is it is – that silent, that dead at night, and, and and it just kind of carries on. Whereas normally the daytime would just drown out your voice. So it's really cool that the lyrics filled in the rest of the picture for me. And then when he's you know asking for his dream state to give him a sign or to give him something, can't you show me the light? And then boom, the music changes, and the lyrics fill out the scene of this is what really happened, you know. You know, man took off, left this place. They they continued to learn. They're continuing to dream, and they're going to come back. And then at the end of it, you know, home to tear the temples down, home to change. And it's almost as if the song ends like he just woke up, like he's just had an epiphany and he woke up. This is the point where you see the parallels to Ayn Rand, because this is exactly what goes on in. Atlas Shrugged. I've not read Atlas Shrugged. Oh. 
So, spoiler? <laughs> I guess we're a little late for spoilers, aren't we? Yeah, a little bit, I guess. Okay, well, tell me, tell me about it. Tell me, tell me, because I'm not crap. I don't want to have to read Atlas Shrugged now. But it, tell me. <laughs> that would take a long time. Uh, we could do a chapter by chapter breakdown oh of, of Atlas Shrugged. I don't couldn't think we? we'll get any <laughs> listeners for that one. <laughs> if we compare it to having sex for the first time, maybe. One of the things that happens or that occurs in the novel Atlas Shrugged is, and it's been a while since I've read it, but. All the creative types that get sort of silenced by society or the government because they want to take their creations and basically give them away to the public. And but essentially, there's this guy in the in the in the book that creates this particularly excellent alloy of steel. He wants to keep the the recipe for the steel as a his own. You know, it's his creation. He wants to be the one that profits from it, and the government says, no, we, you need to release that so that other people can make it and can be more widely available, and screw you. So uh, eventually, he is I pretty sure, I, I think he's kind of forced to cave in, and then he finds out about this society of people, uh, secluded themselves from the rest of society, and they live in this place called Galt's Gulch. Right. They basically stay there until they feel that it's okay for them to come back. Like once society has kind of crushed itself under underneath this weird imperialistic rule. Interesting. Interesting. There is a video game that's based on that book called Bioshock. Have you heard of this? No. Well, I might have heard of the game, so, but I didn't know that was the point. Very much so. So Bioshock is about a city that was built under the ocean. To quote a bit from the game, it says, to build a city at the bottom of the sea, insanity. But where else could we be free from the clutching hands of the parasites? Where else could we build an economy that they would not try to control, a society they would not try to destroy? It was not impossible to build rapture at the bottom of the sea. It was impossible to build it anywhere else. So the idea is the protagonist of the game, Bioshock, is introduced to the city under the sea, but the city has gone bad. So it's kind of like, what's the worst possible scenario that can happen from a society that's built purely on creatives? And the problem you run into is science run amok and a facility that's run amok because no one's willing to do the things that need to be done in order for a society to work. Like, who's going to tend to the pipes? And or the the plumbing and the trash and and a number of the things that society depends on, you know, if the idea is that you should get paid for the sweat on your brow for the thing that you've created, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against that, but everyone is not good at that one thing, right? Everyone's not going to, you know, that is yours. Sometimes doesn't mean that you should do it uh, just because you can. And on top of that. It's it's you know what happens when you've got a society that's built on top of only the best of the best and nobody's willing to maintain it. You know you don't bring people that are willing to receive money by a larger system that's willing to pay money in order to maintain that infrastructure. Yeah. So the long and short of it is that the creatives can't all live in their own society. So at the end of the day, everybody's got to learn to live together. You know this this idea of. Of you know you should be free to to make money on your own merit, and that's the only rule of the land. Basically, means that no one's going to get paid to to do the little things, 
and and take pride in, in enjoying and doing the little things. And that was when you break down the video game, it really gets into that. And it's really a great game. So if I encourage you to at least YouTube a little bit of the game, it's really pretty fascinating. It's based on like the worst case scenario of Atlas Shrugged. Like like where would the next what where would the next logical progression go if it really went down that path? Yeah, and it's a it's a fair warning because you you really can't segregate swaths of the population together and expect everything to go smoothly. Yeah, it's like if the one percent, the one percent of the one percent. Oh, could you imagine? In the midst of a cataclysmic event, decided to hole up in some luxurious bunker underground. It wouldn't go well. Yeah. It wouldn't go well because everybody's fucking special. Everybody's an Indian chief, and nobody is willing to do the work of the common folk, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Who's who's going to want to be doing messenger duty? Who's going to want to... Who's going to want to make sure they mop the floors? It's like, well, I was a, a senior VP at such and such a place. It's like, well, oh, well, I was CFO here. It's like, well, so the fuck what? Down here, everybody's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe everyone's special, therefore no one's special. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like the Incredibles. So pick up a fucking broom. <laughs> it's like the Incredibles. Exactly. Yeah. If everybody has superpowers, then nobody's special anymore. It, it does. It You know, at the end of that movie... I did kind of wonder. There are some movies where I feel like the villain is right, but in the wrong kind of way. Does that make sense? At the end of that movie, what was the the bad guy's name? It was Syndrome. Yeah, Syndrome. Syndrome, I don't think, was wrong in his desire to make allow everyone to be special so that no one would then be special. I think his... his it came from a, the wrong place, though. I mean, there really wasn't... It wasn't like 90% of the people were superpower-laden people. It was still a very small percentage. And he just happened to want to be one and got scorned by one of them. He, his means to an end were flawed. He was trying to basically make one guy not seem so special. Well, yeah, but but even more so. He had anticipated killing him before he even let loose his his plan. So it wasn't even so much that he wanted one guy to not seem special. I think what it was was that he wanted to be a superhero. He knew that he wasn't, but he was, intelligently at least. And his goal was to use his intelligence to make money by allowing everybody to be a super in, in a technological way, because that's how he became sort of a super villain, right? And the only reason why the other supers... It, the only reason why that would have worked initially was because he was using his inventions to kill off supers. So it's very dark, Mister Incredible. Mister Incredible wouldn't have even been in the picture if he had been successful at killing him, you know, and, and unleashed his plan at that point. I, but anyhow, I get way the fuck off topic. Yeah. But okay. So let's get back to and rant. <laughs> so now we're at the part uh, part six soliloquy, and the text goes like this: I have not left this cave for days now. It has become my last refuge in my total despair. I have only the music of the waterfall to comfort me now. I can no longer live under the control of the Federation, but there is no other place to go. My last hope is that with my death I may pass into the world of my dream, and I know peace at last. Oof. All right. Dark. Okay. Wow. Well, okay. Don't don't go jumping off the top of a building, Parzival. <laughs> no shit. So, <laughs> this... Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me... Let me stop for a second here. Doesn't that sound like like that hopelessness, Parzival hopelessness in chapter twenty four? 
Yeah. No, I, I went into this in the in the main episode. Yeah. It's Oh did you? Well that's I lost that. I didn't I didn't oh, get that's right. That. that was totally lost because he hadn't you didn't know the song. Right. Okay, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Are uh, you ready? Better I don't think he's not playing, is he? Like, isn't like, yeah, the it's gone. gone? Like, that's an echo of the guitar, isn't it? Yeah, I think that it's like what he's, it's what he's remembering. Yeah, yeah, it has that. Yeah, I can see that. Ooh, it's got weird. Is this, is this where he becomes the priest? No, I don't think so. He's not becoming but a priest. But it's the same voice. Yeah, but he's about to kill himself. So that's that got weird because he started to sound like the priests. He fucking did. Like, well, I, I think that maybe he moved from the revelation of the dream into sort of being the prophet. But that sometimes that transition into enlightenment is too dramatic because you've got to come back to the real world. And when you've come back to the real world, you're enlightened. But your enlightenment, your enlightenment has shown you a suffering you weren't aware of. And for some people, it's too much. To me, it, it conveys the anger and the frustration, the de- the despair. Yeah. You know, he, he goes from this rather subdued, you know, like, look what I found. This thing is great. And then it's like, why did they take this from me? And now it's, he's like, he dreams, he wakes up and he's like, man, if I could only stay in that place of that dream. And then he realizes, I can't. There's no other place to go. Then it's like, well, fuck this shit. And then he's just angry. Mm. Well, and I wonder I, I wonder if the if – because the, it goes from that sort of innocent – I don't want to say innocent, but sort of humble singing for him. And, and initially I thought, well, that's the priest's voice. Yes. But maybe it's not the priest's voice. Maybe that's just how everyone else sounds. And that's how he would sound if he was like everyone else. So maybe the priests don't sound like they. Maybe they just sound like they. Everyone sounds like this. But he wasn't quite singing in this part exactly like the priests. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is that maybe we're not talking about the difference between our protagonist and the priests. Maybe we're talking about the difference between the protagonist and the rest of the world. And the rest of the world sings like this. And then in the moment where he gives up, he's giving up to being like everyone else because he's been robbed of that 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 humble creative voice and now he's back like this and then as a result he's hating himself but don't you think that if he was 
act if he was evolved into being like everyone else, then that would part of that would be acceptance. Uh, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it evolving. I would call it just reverting. Sure, a- acquiescing. So if he if he acquiesces to being like everyone else, wouldn't that then mean he's he's accepted it, and that's a part of his like okay, well, this is the way it is. But that's not what he's doing. He's saying I don't want to acquiesce. I want that dream world that I was in. And he says, well, it's there. I I can't accept that, so I'm going to kill myself. Well, in ac- just because you acquiesce doesn't mean you like it. In fact, that's what acquiescing means. It means to agree without really liking it. Yeah, but he's taking his not really liking it a whole step further. Yeah, yeah. He's saying, you know what? Uh, uh, he's just falling back into the rest of the society and having come from this beautiful place of creativity and acquiescing back into the society of the guys like this. You know, he's just basically saying, I, 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 I've, I, I can't accept this. I, I'm going to posit you know. the idea that when he's uh, in di- during discovery and during presentation, the, that perspective is actually exactly like everyone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go with that too. And then yeah. when he changes tone in, in soliloquy, that's him going beyond and saying, nope, I don't accept this. It's better to die than to live in this society. Yeah, I think he, he goes back to being like everyone else and the disgustness of it makes him kill himself. Yes. Or, or it basically leads him to that place where there's no other option. Yeah, agreed. He's reverted back to his creativeless state. And that's not acceptable. You can't live with that. Yeah, I think he starts out in the status quo phase, and then this is the point where he's been kicked in the shins and realizes that the, this life is not worth living. This has gotten. I'm going to be honest with you. This this is a little bit deeper than I was prepared for you on this Sunday. Oh, tell tell me about it. This, it, <laughs> dude. I thought we were going to be. This wasn't going to be that long of a recording, but man, it turned into a bigger one. So anyway, let's. Okay. Uh, Let's pinch this one off. We are going to finish this one to the end. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. there okay. is no verse to precede this uh, last part, which is called the grand finale. Okay. But we could read the lyrics. No, 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 no. Let's just just let's just go into it. snap <laughs> what what oh oh okay all right all right all right wow all right so uh, there's a lot the wrap up here is this is very tr- this is kind of like a classic tragedy where the protagonist dies 
and just after they could have been saved. Yeah. Like like some shit happens. It's almost like that it's it's the Deus Ex Machina missed a step and didn't save the protagonist fast enough. Uh, so I, that's it, there's is a lot of complexity there because it, you kind of have this feeling like um, there's a um, first off the music's way more complex. It has a huge sort of artistic. It's unlike any other part of the song. It is. It really is. So it's very, very different. And I could definitely sort of feel this invasion happening. And, and the guitar is just going left and right, literally moving from channel, almost as if things are flying around. So it's, it's almost as if there's a sort of overwhelming invasion of complexity, maybe even like a battle. But like you said, it's very unlike anything else. And then at the very end, it just nails it down like an invading force saying, you know, attention, we have assumed control. And it falls back to this reference, this oracle. And an oracle tells you something of the future, or it is it is a soothsayer, if you will. Uh, but it's, it's really meant to provide prolific information that, that's sort of nested in a message. And... You know, here the oracle in the dream, uh, you know, communicates this this world, this realm that that the ancients had left, and they were just waiting to become powerful enough to come back and take over, and that the world would be beautiful again. But our protagonists just couldn't hang on, couldn't wait around long enough to experience it, and no sooner does he end up killing himself, but the ancients come back with just just awesome rip roaring music. And assume control of the world, and it, it just has this—it has this almost Shakespearean, you know, just a moment too late feeling. Mm-hmm. So apparently, this part of the song was intentionally left a little bit in the ambiguous uh, side of things. But right. so there's been some interpretations about who actually is this invading force. But uh, Neil Pert eventually stated that his intent was the elder race that is referred to in, in the Oracle mm-hmm. uh, comes back and successfully uh, deposes the Solar Federation. But right. I thought it was really cool, and this is actually on the Wikipedia page for 2112, so this is readily available. This isn't anything new. This isn't some weird theory that's sitting out there on some random website. And I didn't come up with this, but it's, I thought this was fucking awesome. I'm going to read this word for word from Wikipedia. As the grand finale ends, the message, attention all planets of the Solar Federation, seven words, is spoken three times. Seven times three is 21. Followed by three repetitions of we have assumed control, four words, (gasps) times three is 12. Echoing the title of the song, 2112. Wow. That's awesome. I had no idea. That is great. (sighs) I love it. That is wild. So I very much get why Ernest Klein dug this because it has the detail like seven words times three four words times three and how we've talked about this before how every decision that an author would make as far as the names and how many words are in something or the length of a chapter it's all intentional there's something behind it and to see something so explicit like this ah I ah just I love it it's great yeah yeah that's that is super cool that is super cool. It uh, it it just uh, and I, I've reverted back to Wikipedia. I've really tried not to put my eyes on anything, not even the lyrics, not even like I've been reading the lyrics as we've been going along, but I've not looked ahead. 
but that's just I, I totally get why Ernest Klein dug this. I, I get that there's just this long message. Any I think this is an anthem for anyone who feels like they discovered something beautiful in their life and society outright rejected it and rejected them as a result or tried to destroy it. It's it's the kid that goes in the direction that his or her parents don't want them to go and, and express disappointment. It's anyone who's ever felt like an outcast for being who they are on the inside and reflecting that out on the outside and thinking that for a moment that they're beautiful and then being told not only is it not beautiful, it is wrong. It's it's a sin or it's illegal or you know anything where society smacks it down and tries to rip it out of you. And, and that's this. That's, that is this song. That's what I get. Now, is this my type of music? Not at all. Would I have ever listened to this willingly? Well, I mean, I just listened willingly, but I, I would never have given it like a passing thought. Like if somebody had been playing on the radio, this would not have drawn me to it. Do I want a rock opera based on this? Now I fucking do. I would love to see a rock opera based on this, you know, like Mamma Mia style kind of an opera sort of situation or a show or movie or something. I would absolutely pay to see that. I think that would be fucking fantastic. And and I, I don't know that I'll listen to it over and over and over again, but I love the message and I, I really dig how they communicated it. Just freaking cool. I totally get why Ernest is, is digging into this. I will say that now that we've gone through this, and analyzed it part by part, much like the podcast analyzes the book chapter by chapter. My appreciation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for it has just skyrocketed. I, I am a, I'm absolutely titillated. My cherry has been popped, and it was not disappointing. That's good because I, I I've heard that it can be for so many people. <laughs> can be awkward. Can be embarrassing. I get that, and and, and all of that. And all of that was in this. However, when it was all said and done, this was a good experience. I now have an appreciation for Rush that was I was absolutely missing when I read the book. So are you going to go out and uh, listen to some more Rush? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, like, like, I love this. I like that this, the meaning is nested in this, and I, and I love how it's presented. It's still... Not my kind of music. <laughs> I might. I might. Like, I'll, I'll go and see one of the most popular Rush songs, and I might create a little Rush playlist and see if I can get through it. Yeah, that's fair. I might do the same. And I might listen to this maybe a couple more times just to try and – to because we stopped. We stopped in between the songs, which adds a degree of choppiness. And it's a bit like, uh, like having a six-course meal. And then waiting a day between each course. Oh, I find even waiting like twenty minutes between courses to be a bit, you know, distracting. A and- little bit long. Yeah. If you got a twenty if you got a six course meal, by God, don't let it stop. Keep it rolling. I finished the salad. Bring me my my steak. Whatever. Bring me my little don't small wait a day. portion of something and then wait a half an hour to give me my next really small portion. Exactly. So I, what I want to do is I want to listen to the whole thing through twenty minutes solid. 20 minutes and 33 seconds solid uh, you, you, to see if you want round just two. to get the full feeling. Well, I got I to gotta have it all stapled together to get the full feeling because I am feeling the twang of like, you know, misty-eyed sort of, oh, he killed himself because he was exposed to something so beautiful that pulling it out just makes the world not worth living. Pulling it out, huh? That's the, that's the phrase you decided on? Uh, what phrase? Pulling it out. Ooh, oh. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we, uh, it, but I, I get that. And then only to a moment later to have it reintroduced. Like you just you you because you gave up, you missed it. And if if this isn't a great, I, I don't know if anybody. I don't want to get into chapter twenty four again. <laughs> Anytime somebody sees the end of the road coming, you know, the idea is just because you can't see past the horizon doesn't mean that running towards the horizon should end in you falling off the cliff mm. or the edge of the earth. It's not the edge. There's more to come. There's more beyond it. And it's it's that this is an example of what happens when you don't persist and you don't move past what appears to be a hopeless inevitability that is the horizon, which is that there is no horizon there's always more beyond. It's basically telling you don't give up. Keep trying. Don't or, or at least persist. Suffer. Suffer. Life is worth suffering. Life is suffering. So just suffer a little bit longer and it will get easier. And if it doesn't, suffer a little longer. Some, some and it will people get will easier. say that out of suffering comes beauty. Yes. Oh yeah. So I you know, I, well, I hate to get in a sad note here, but but it, this this just kind of reminds me of uh at chapter 24 and 25. So it's really interesting. And I got to wonder if this, on a larger meta scale, where was Ernest's mind going? Because he said he just kind of, he spent a long time writing through chapter by chapter. And if you just kind of pull back at the general feeling of each chapter, you've got this suffering and then sort of a recovery from that. And then it's like the rush becomes the savior of Parzival in the book. And it becomes his his. Uh, it's it's almost as if Parzival purposefully doesn't do what the protagonist in this song well, does. Yeah. Well, well, think about it. Like in this chapter, he sees the end is near, and he had just been at the edge of the cliff. But he says, "I managed to keep my cool," and then he formulates a plan. Yeah, it's right. like he's heeding yeah. the so- he's heeding the advice that the song seems to be giving is. Don't give up because right around the corner might be salvation. Yeah, right around the corner might be the world swinging in your direction. Exactly, and and allowing that to occur, that allowing that creativity to to take over, or whatever it is that frees you up. And I, I gotta wonder, like, I, I've had friends that have struggled, and you know, I, I had a, one friend. I don't know if he fell or if he jumped, but he fell off of uh, the edge of a, a um, waterfall. It, it's, it sounds almost cheesy ironic, but but truly, when I lived in Seattle, a guy that I went to school with, which was a good kid, uh, he was reported to have jumped off a cliff next to a waterfall. And, you know, you just have to kind of wonder in that moment, like, what is the worst thing that could happen? And just fucking persist through it. Because on the other side of that, it's just going to get better. It's never as bad as it ever looks. This is the same sort of situation, and it feels like this was like reflected. So I kind of wonder, because it mentions in the book that Halliday wrote the code while listening to the songs. I, it makes me wonder if, if Ernest didn't write this book while listening to Rush, and if the past few chapters haven't been a reflection of 2112, and then he was like, fuck it, I'm just going to include 2112 because that's helped me get through chapter 24, 25, and 26. And as a result, here's this, chapter 27, we're just going to dedicate 27 to me getting over my issue 
the issues that I was having emotionally that were expressed in chapter 24 and 25. You see what I'm getting yeah. at? I don't know. Maybe that's too deep. But I wonder. I just – I kind of – you kind of wonder what, what's going through in the evolution of somebody writing a book. Well, maybe maybe we'll release this one in two parts. <laughs> so uh, So let's outro this. Okay. All right. So anyway, so that wraps up the bonus content for this chapter of Ready Player One, where we talked about the epic 20-minute song, Epic. 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 Epic, by Rush called 2112. It was a whole lot of fun. I feel like we, we both got something out of it that was more than what we expected. We talked about this a lot longer than we thought. We hope every one of our Patreon subscribers is enjoying our bonus content. We are going to keep putting out more stuff for you. So stay tuned. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our Patreon channel. Every subscriber level gets content. It doesn't matter whether you're – it doesn't matter $1, $2, $10. We don't care. Everybody gets it. So thanks for being a subscriber. This is Aaron. This is Chris. And that was Get to the Good Part Bonus Edition. Tell me you didn't hit stop. Ready, pal?